Welcome to Live Sense8. I'm Sheila Applegate. And I'm Zach Hansen. In this podcast, we dive deep into the concepts of consciousness and other interesting trivia in the Netflix original series Sense8. We're doing an episode by episode exploration of how we can live a Sense8 life. We're also throwing in some special episodes along the way with actors and crew and people who have contributed to the miracle of Sense8. And this week's episode is brought to you by Denise Natitian, Teresa Helenin, and Divine Phoenix Books. Books with a purpose for a positive change. What's going on? In this segment, we talk about what's going on in the world of Sense8. Let's start with some... Fun news. Last night, Toby and Brian were hanging out at the GLAAD Awards. It was fun to watch them together again and see the pictures coming up on social media. On a more disappointing note, the screening in Chicago, which was on my birthday, got canceled And so now my birthday is just not going to be the same. So it's all about me. (laughs) I'm sure nobody else is disappointed. Anyway, we're all disappointed, but we want to continue to thank and support Lana and Karen and the Music Box Theater in Chicago and Emily's List, who put so much energy and effort into making it happen. My idea is let's all go ahead and donate to Emily's List on behalf of Sense8, since they're not going to get the fundraiser that we hoped they would get. And it's a really good organization to help promote women in office. So check that out. And if you feel moved, donate. That's how I dealt with the disappointment. (laughs) And it did feel good. Now, on a similar note, this is a secret, so Lana, if you're listening, cover your ears. (laughs) Lana's birthday is coming up in June, and there is a project going on through social media to create a very special birthday gift for her with some happy birthday clips from all the fans around the world. Put the information up on Patreon, so get out your cameras and give Lana some love so that she receives the most beautiful Sense8 birthday gift she could ever imagine. All right, let's get going. So, Zach, just me and you. Just the two of us. It's been a while. We've had some guests lately. We have. It's been exciting. It's yeah. been fun. We had Martin here in the studio mm-hmm. with us, and then Paul was yeah. awesome. Ethan, amazing. Yeah. And now it's back to the two of us. It's back to the two of us, back to the show. All cozy. We're going to do an episode, right? Yep. Let's let's do an episode What episode today. are we doing today? I almost lost track. 
episode eight, season one, we will all be judged by the courage of our hearts. It aired on June 5th, 2015. It was written by the Wachowskis and J. Michael Straczynski. It was directed by Dan Glass. Nice. Yeah. All right. And a little synopsis before we go in. Sun fights to adjust her new lo- to her new life as Caffius tries to change his. Will and Nomi dig up some disturbing information that could change everything. And Will mm-hmm. and Riley, they start, they start feeling some, some love. And we have Wolfgang. He goes back to his childhood a little bit. It's a very interesting episode. Yeah, let's kind of dig in. All right. So you said Nomi and needs to dig up some information. We start to hear about the BPO a little bit, right? The BPO. The BPO. The bad guys. The institution. The man. (laughs) The man. It's always the fucking man. You know what I'm saying? They're always at our back trying to do devious things. <laughs> so, yeah, they're starting to see, kind of give us some of the history about that as they learn it. And we get to have a little idea about what the story arc of the hero's journey is going to be like. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. And and there's we understand some of Whisper's abilities because... Nomi and Will both kind of talk about and discover how Whispers took over the body of a lobotomized Sense 8 to do the shootings. So. That's a pretty cool power, if you ask me. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> And it gives us an idea of why maybe they were trying to lobotomize. So the whole thing, and I think this is kind of a societal issue, the world is traditionally afraid of people who cannot be controlled. So if we are empowered by our sensate senses or our... our more than five senses. Our sensatabilities. Our super senses. And we know ourselves, like Jonas has been telling them, trust yourself, know yourself. Mm-hmm. You become a threat to the organizations that wish to be in power, to the people in power. And we see this in religions. We see it in governments. So here we have a very clear depiction, if we lobotomize these people, then we can control them. I think there's Mm -hmm. a little bit of a metaphor in there. Yeah. And we can use them as killing machines. So Well there's also there's also the scary idea of like a sleeper cell or sleepers who can be triggered by a keyword and turn into assassins or things like this. This kind of lore actually goes back into like uh in modern history into the ninjas and mind control and stuff where it's been said that they've done that. Right. And like the whole born supremacy movies and stuff. 
MK Ultra, all these ideas of mind control based on um, words or triggers, but instead whispers just tops in a body, makes it a lot easier, right? <laughs> so it's interesting. It's interesting the storyline that's developing. And I think with any art, we need to always turn it inward and see what that means metaphorically. And yeah, I really liked your your understanding about that. Yeah. So anyway, BPO. If we lose our sovereignty, we lose ourselves and we become puppets. This is true. Yeah. But what is the way to fight the people like that? Oh, to fight them. Hmm. That's a great question, Sheila. <laughs> to become sovereign, right? Yeah. The best thing we can do to overcome those that overpower us is to become all that we are. Mm-hmm. That's a very mystical answer. But with practical applications. Sure. Which we're going to talk about here. Okay. All right. So that's a BPO. <laughs> Let's keep going. <laughs> so it opens. This is interesting to me. It opens with Needs and Nomi sitting um, on a ledge overlooking the city. Sunrise or sunset. And Nomi's reflecting on how bizarre it is to be sitting there and seeing the beauty in the world, just like every day when the sun sets and at the same time having witnessed so many dark things and life-changing things. So I think, again, we've got a couple messages here. There's the juxtaposition of our world that as insane as things get, there's going to be a beautiful sunrise and a beautiful sunset every day. Some are not quite as beautiful, but basically, as insane as things get, the beauty of the earth continues to rise. Or sad, but <laughs> continues its cycle. Right. I think the idea here is like beauty is always going to be there. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's what I, I talk about a lot. I, I teach, you know, when I do is to ghosts actively seek beauty in your life. Don't. Don't just let it, you know, come to you. Go out and see beauty in every interaction you may have in the mundane because that's really where the magic starts to happen, right. in my opinion. Yeah, and in every moment you have a choice on where you're going to put your attention. Right. And, and you can always choose beauty. It's always an option. I also, It also reminded me of like when our inner world changes and the outer world doesn't seem to notice. So for me, it triggered, and this has happened to me several times in my life and probably happens to everyone at some point, but for me, the most profound moment that I will never forget was after giving birth to my daughter, my oldest, so my first child. And it wasn't so much the holding her. It was when we left the hospital and got in the car and people were driving to work and they were going about their day and the buildings hadn't changed and the trees hadn't changed. And I just remember it being so surreal because to me, everything had changed. Like the yeah. world would never be the same again. And... 
nobody noticed. And it was just so strange. Was so it that's surreal? It was so surreal. It was, yeah. it, 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 I mean, she's 22 now, and I can go back to that moment as if it was a minute ago. That's how profound that feeling was. Like, how strange is that? But I've thought about it throughout my life when other things mm-hmm. happen. I mean, I guess I could even think about it like in in Nomi's thoughts here. Same thing, probably. It was a little blurrier at that time. It wasn't as that second profound, but um, after Pan Am 103 um, and the bombing over Lockerbie and then celebrating Christmas, going, you know, I went, and then coming home and going back to SU where everybody was doing the same thing and 35 of my friends had just died, you know. So, yeah, I get it. I get that. I think we all get that. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, our, I think this applies. This could apply to a lot of different situations in our life. Yeah. Like, Good and bad. Yeah, exactly. You know, like there's two examples. One was something really great happening and the world didn't notice. I mean, obviously my family and friends did, but, you know, mm-hmm. life goes on. And some of the things for me that I can go back and think about is uh some psychedelic experiences i've had because your reality opens up into a way that normally isn't possible and it changes everything like your whole world comes asunder and there's magical things that happen and you get to bear witness to and then a few hours later the world's just doing the same old thing and your inner world just exploded with some pure conscious energy and it's really cool or in a deep meditation um, experiencing unconditional love or something so transcendental and you come back and everything's just the same yeah i was thinking of it as the meditations yeah. or the deep spiritual experiences that and those are even more so i mean because nobody else has that experience but you in a way, like you can be in a group and everyone can have a reflection of it. But mm-hmm. isn't that the reality of anything that happens? Nobody will experience anything the way you do. Right. I, th- I think the big, di- the big contrast is that you change on a fundamental level. Yeah. And everything else appears to be the same. Right. Exactly. So that's Nomi. Well, she also, Nomi also gets visited by Will. Um, later in the episode and um it's a big ep- it's a big episode for Nomi in a sense she gets visited by Will and they have a conversation one of the things when Will shows up um you had noticed that he didn't he makes mention of all her equipment but he's not too yeah i think Will's a pretty cool character and i like what you said about Will actually He's not really like a by-the-books cop. Will's just Will. Yeah. Because we see him here in the show, and he just, he he's a good detective, I think, because he questions the narrative, right? He's like, it's not necessarily right or wrong. I don't think he's a black and white thinker. He isn't, which is interesting because you were because pointing out <laughs> the rules. But, and even in this episode, when he and son help Nomi escape, you know he knows the playbook. 
Like he knows everything the cop is going to do. And he, he tells son later in the scene where they're getting away. Um, so he's learned the rules, so to say, but he is, he is sovereign. Uh, what, right. Sovereign. Exactly. Here he is. He's yeah. a, he's a Chicago cop helping a fugitive escape more than once. Mm-hmm. He's helping a known hacker with like um, contraband in her room to escape from this company that he doesn't really, he, they just know he has a gut feeling perhaps that it's BPO is not a good entity. Well, he, he, instead of just like turning her in, right? Because that's what a cop would probably do. And he's got his childhood experience of seeing that girl be lobotomized and having those dreams when he was young. Mm-hmm. So he probably learned early on. You know, we see that in his childhood reflections too. That he he did get become a cop by trade, but not by. <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah, that one's interesting. But one of the things I thought was interesting there is. Um, Neitz is kind of meeting him for the first time or whatever. And she's like, there's a cop here in the room, you know? And then, and they're talking and Neitz kind of, she says something like, oh, cool. It's FaceTime without a phone. And Will says, not exactly. We can know things and feel things. And I thought that was really, you know, one of those really important lines because so often people really get confused by the extra senses and um, inner vision and the way these things work, and they think they're going to work with their physical eyes, right? They relate it. It is like, it's another thing. It's like FaceTime, um, but without phones, which we've talked about before, electronically, this is helping us get used to it, and then we need to springboard beyond it. So it is beyond it, but in making that leap, we have to remember that it's different because your eyes are your inner eyes. You know things. They, the vision is in your head. Even though for the show it's being depicted outward, Will's right there saying we feel things and we know things. So it's an inner vision he's referring to, and he's explaining to us how it really works. So to me, that line was like, yes. Right. I was reading a book, uh, not this week, but the past week. And though I, I can't believe I didn't think of it. I always say gnosis or knowing, but direct cognition would mm-hmm. be, I think that's a great <laughs> layman's term for understanding what's going on with them. Yeah, that's perfect. I love that word. Yeah. Yeah. So then you still kind of going with Nomi and people are weaving in together. But when she does escape, um, she's she's meeting Sun for the first time and as she does, you start to realize, she says, they introduce themselves to each other. And Nomi says, I don't have time for this. Now, Sun, now Nomi was in Sun's workplace and Sun just made her go away. There was no interaction with him. So Nomi probably had a vision, but they hadn't interacted. So that's what I mean. Nomi's actually been in her own world because she mm-hmm. was in the hospital on drugs in fear. So she's just kind of catching up and meeting people and interacting with them now. And, and so that's interesting because 
at this point, we all kind of think everybody knows everybody, but really when we look they at don't. individual right. relationships, they're still getting to know each other. But they move so comfortably in this scene where mm -hmm. she's thwarting the agents of BPO, whatever they were. Yeah. I don't know if they were, they, they were cops. I don't remember. Um, on that street but anyway they just go so like will pops in sounds like oh i guess i'm here i, I think i need to beat people up because that's what she does <laughs> when she shows up <laughs> so they, they just kind of like get to business they don't ask questions about what's happening right or right like, nobody's like knows. oh well you're a hacker you should be caught they're just it's self-preservation they're just like oh nomi's in trouble let's help her they don't stop to think whether or not she should be in bars Right, because at this point, I think they've surrendered into the idea that they're all going through this miracle together mm -hmm. and that somehow they're on the same team. I mean, I think yeah, I think it's cool. And then Caffius pops into the car, just like <laughs> they just start working so well together. From yeah, that, that is this is the moment where we really so we had the turning point before when Caffius asks for help and son responds but now and we remember now Nomi was asking for help in a sense um, back at that same episode and nobody could hear her because she was in the fear and on the drug suppression whatever they were giving yeah, her. Yeah like the second episode or what, when she was in the hospital room. Yeah and now <laughs> she's like she doesn't even know Will's name yet. She's hey, like cop, cop guy <laughs> come back where are you? They did help her out of the hospital. So. <laughs> but they're now working as a team and Caffius does his role, even when Sun's fighting, Will is telling her exactly what the cops are going to do so she can be prepared ahead. So there's a lot of teamwork that's happening in this episode. Yeah, it's really cool. So one of the things I thought was interesting with Sun is she was in solitary confinement when Nomi asked her to come in for help or when she sensed that she needed help. And I have had some experience in my life where people that I knew um, ended up in jail. Souls that were very evolved, but maybe by race or circumstances didn't and didn't get treated the same way by our society. So anyway, knew a couple people who were in jail in the past that one in particular I'm really thinking of very evolved, very spiritually gifted, aware, able to communicate in the higher levels and teleport and <laughs> do all of these things that we see the sensates doing in their own way of doing it. And one thing I noticed with him is he would get himself in solitary confinement. And I, I thought, and I always felt like he did better then. Like, he was able to, because I watched Orange is the New Black <laughs> afterwards and thought, oh, man, that's really bad. You know, wow, I feel bad that he had to experience that. But he seemed to be calmer because he was free to escape the confines and not get in trouble, even though it was punishment. So he wasn't having to deal with the dynamics of, the jail. I mean, it was. Yeah. And, um, and in doing so had that freedom to meditate, teleport, whatever he would do. So I thought 
That was interesting that son gets herself in solitary confinement quite frequently. And it just, it just reminded me of something that years ago I thought, oh, I think this is making it spiritually easier for the, my friend. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, very interesting. I mean, what else are you going to do in solitary confinement? Right. You could go crazy or... People pay lots of money to go to ashrams and do that, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, poor man's ashram. So that was interesting. Sun, you know, to talk a little bit more about Sun, there's not a ton going on with Sun, but some significant things. She, it, It's a prison life, kind of. She's establishing and supporting her friends. So she stands up to the bully in the sewing and... She's calm. She's trying, she goes out and paints a beautiful mural, which again, the theme of art transcending, right? Because you've got them in jail painting this beautiful mural. And the friend says, you know, sometimes it helps to remember and they paint of better times. Yeah. And it's probably, you know, it's what you look for. So it goes, you back look forward to, to that. Right. Know, when you're in those times, like, well, Oh yeah, I get to go outside and paint. This is going to be awesome. Like it gives you, a little hope or inspiration for the day. Kind of goes back to Nomi and Neats and what we talked about with the sunrise too, or the sunset. It's, it's their beauty. It's bringing beauty into the struggle or the dark places. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. But, um, you know, of course, sun does fight because the person, she tries not to, but. All right. That's what you do. She got, she did set her boundaries and then the one of the other women brings in her paintbrush, sneaks a paintbrush into solitary confinement. I thought that was really was that a paintbrush? It was, or a was paintbrush. it a shank? I don't know. It was. It happened so fast. She, she, she cut her pretty good with it. Oh, I'm sorry. My bad. I'm back on the playground. You know, talking this is, about. Yep. Sorry, my imagination went. Yeah. Wild no, here. there was weapon on the playground, but. Um, I was just thinking. So I'll, I'll, I'll feel yeah, you on. I was just thinking about how Sun was playing nice, because if I was Sun, I had that paintbrush in my hand. I would have gouged that woman's eye with a paintbrush, and that would have been pretty quick workings of that situation. But she played nice, and she threw that paintbrush away, and was later stabbed with a shank. Oh, interesting, because you would notice the fight more, which right. makes it even more interesting. So she threw the paintbrush away. And then one of the ladies brings her the paintbrush yep. back. And I don't remember if she ends up using it in the future as a weapon. I, but to me, I saw it as the weapon is the art, right? If you hold on to your creativity in there and you, because she can't, she doesn't have paints and she's not going to be able to paint on the wall, even with water. Because at first I was like, oh, maybe she'll paint like I had the kids do on the sidewalk with water, but. She really probably can't do that without getting caught. So it's really just for her imagination. So it's really a key to remind her to stay in, in her imagination and to paint with her mind. And it's another message about the power of art. Yeah. So that to me was interesting. And then I'm pretty sure she rubs her cheek with the paintbrush, the softness, the touch, and how important gentle touch is to keep yourself 
aligned in a situation like mm-hmm. that. So that those were some pretty profound moments for Sun. But other than that, there's not a lot going on with Sun in this episode. We do have uh, Kala and Wolfgang. So when we first start seeing them, Kala is in a movie theater with her family and lots of people <laughs> laughing. Right, it seemed to be like a funny movie. And she's crying. And Well, here we see Kala. She's crying for Wolfgang. Yeah. She's feeling the friendship that he has with Felix. Mm-hmm. And he's obviously not that kind of guy right he's very cold steel you know he's he's uh he's had to be tough and so he's not really like that emotional i don't think right it hasn't been see well we had a flashback a little bit later right. when he gets beaten up for crying so yeah the cry has literally been beaten out of him Right, so she's doing it for him. Yeah. You know, she's feeling all the feels. Yeah. And she gets to step in there and expand herself. So here again, we have this idea or this concept that they're showing that even though there's eight of them, they're feeling the love beyond the eight. Right, even with the orgy, there mm-hmm. was love that right. was beyond just the eight of them. Right. Because they love their lovers. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it is interesting because then Kala, who would just be in the bathroom of the theater, is now sitting in the hospital, and and it's it's by being and showing up with him at his vulnerable time that she does learn a little bit about his childhood, and he does tell her a little bit about that. But we also realize that Wolfgang is taking the blame for Felix getting shot, and at first I was like, wait a second, Felix was like being all out there, you know, he's responsible for his right. actions. But then I thought about it and and the line is actually Wolfgang says, It was my fault. I wanted to prove something and I wanted to change something that can't be changed. And Kala asks, what? And he says, the past. So when we think about that, then we realize that Wolfgang is referring to having stolen the safe in the first place as a way of sort of avenging his father, maybe. Um, Or as... I actually saw that as that was his attempt to elevate himself beyond his position. I don't think he, I I think it was a very self-centered act and he's realizing that Felix kind of got caught in the crossfire literally. And, um, see, I, I, he says I wanted to change the past. So to me, he did it because they emphasize that it was the same safe that his dad couldn't open. Right. And so to me, I mean, it could, we do, whenever we take an action, there's a million reasons why we take it. So we can both be right here. But to me, with him talking about the past, he had something to prove. He never proved or got his dad's approval. He never, he wanted to 
somehow change whatever went down with that safe and be the one to open it. I, I, to me, I think it was the exact safe was equally as important than just to. Oh, for sure. I, I, yeah. I feel you. I was just going along with they stole all those diamonds and they're going to make a ton of money and they can leave. Yeah, but Felix and, has been way more into the money of it than Wolfgang. He's been kind of, sure. I've, I've found him to be kind of indifferent to the diamonds. It's more about he, he proved that he could open that safe. Agreed. But you also, um, there's certain types of people, I'm, I'm one that likes to not flaunt what I have either. Like I don't, he, if you look at, um, Wolfgang, he's always just dressed simply in black. He's mm -hmm. very simple in all the, like the shoes, everything. He's a very simple, don't look at me, stay under the radar kind of person. I think that's part of his personality too. So he might not have like the safe cracking. The safe might have been more important to him, but the money that they got from it would also elevate. It, it gave them a chance to leave their situation. Right, and he was about to leave before. Yeah, I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I think, like you said, we both could be right here on the motivations and all this kind of evaluation. Wolfgang asks Kala where she is, and she says, "I'm in a movie, or at the movies." And Wolfgang says, "Oh, that makes sense." Well, I think I think he just says, "Makes sense." <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. Felix loved movies. Yeah, and so I, to me, I thought, well, that's another really interesting line because when you're living in synergy and following synchronicity and noticing all that and you have people around you who do that, that's a really common phrase. Like, you know, if I'm talking to my friends and I say I'm doing this at this time, you know, I was doing this at that time and they'll be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense because I was doing this or or whatever they under so it's really a window into how deep Wolfgang really does understand the connection and and sort of maybe even he may be saying he's not religious but he definitely has an uh he's definitely aligned with synchronicity and connectedness mm -hmm. and it makes sense to him like it literally makes sense to him that that would that the fact that he the fact that his friend liked the movies would mean that Kala would go to the movies in India that day. And just open up to the experience that he's having. Like yeah. it was a catalyst. Yeah. Yeah. So that, but I also felt like, I don't know, I don't know if they realize they're doing this, but it also felt like another message out to the audience about how to view this. Like it's basically saying to us, not only in life, which I think we should do, um, pay attention to what's happening at different times and notice synchronicities. But it also feels like it's kind of part of our tutorial on how to watch Sensate and get the most out of it. Like, pay attention to the scenes and what each person is doing at each moment and the connectedness. Pay attention to the connections that bring these scenes together. Uh, absolutely. And I mean, I, everybody we've interviewed that's talked to about the Wachowskis is their a level their attention to detail and putting everything so delicately together to produce resonance yes. within the human body, <laughs> within the audience. So it's really cool because Wolfgang then 
he's getting into his childhood and he kind of opens up that way to Kala. And that's huge for for someone with that personality and I recognize that archetype. Um when you start to disclose your childhood, that's a level of intimacy um for him far beyond sex. Yeah. From what we're seeing. And so within this, this is really cool to me. It's been suggested a few times already, but you really get to see, he talked about how Felix loved the movies and how they skipped school to watch the movies. And their favoriteest movie of all time was Conan the Barbarian. And this sets us up to one of the themes that's in the show, because it's really important to watch everything in the show, like what movies are in the background, all the clips that they're playing and all like everything means something in this show. Uh, it was put there on purpose. And as they're sitting there watching Conan and you're, you're sitting there just watching in, they have a line from Conan the Barbarian that's playing. No one will remember if we were good men or bad. All that matters is that two stood against the many. That is what is important. Valor pleases you. Come, so grant me one request. Grant me revenge. <laughs> <laughs> and that sets up the, one of the, the big themes for this particular episode is revenge. And it's just in the background, all nonchalant-like, while they're watching. He's just telling about his childhood. Yeah. And then we see the revenge. Come up later in episode two. And, and another thing, it just goes to show how the, the movie Conan molded these children, Felix and Wolfgang, is as Conan is saying this on the television, Felix is like, ah, this is a masterpiece. Right, they felt like Conan was a masterpiece, and and he quotes Conan like after he hits his dad over the head with a bottle. They quote Conan after he beats the kids with a stick off of Wolfgang. He quotes Conan like it's it was a big part of their bonding experience. I think is growing up and looking for a hero. Yeah, it's their search for the hero's journey and to maybe overcome suppression in their lives. And really, we see how that show shaped them and defined their lives, almost raised them. Mm -hmm. Kind of like Caffius, right? Yeah, where Caffius, he's got Van Damme, so he, and he says that, he used it to get out of the slums, right? To free himself, to... And to define, and he aligned with that character based on what his mom and was teaching him about the hero's journey. So it shows us so much about who we are and what shapes us and what we resonate with as a small child and the stories that we hear. It shows the impact of entertainment on our lives and defining who we are as people and then what we're exposed to. It's a very powerful it is. part of it is. childhood in our lives and continues to be. But when you're a child, you don't realize how much. Right, it's and especially you. when you need a hero to look up to, when you don't have somebody in your life that's a role model for you, right? What do you do? A lot of kids are 
uh, parented by iPads these days, but when I was growing up, it was TV or Nintendo or whatever. So they had the movies. And another important thing about this scene is they also had each other. And we already know from previous episodes that their bond is really strong. And Wolfgang says, he's my brother, not something by as accidental as blood, by something much stronger. And Kala says, what? And he says, by choice. And here we get led um, down a path, uh, another theme of the show, and it's talking about choices. But first, let's talk about blood relationships versus maybe relationships by choice. I know me personally, I've had a lot of, I I don't have much blood family per se, but I have a lot of family in this lifetime. Uh, I wouldn't be where I'm at without them and all the the bonds that I have grown with. Um, some people would call them friends, but I feel like they're my brothers and they know who they are. And I've just had such a a deep connection with people outside of my bloodlines. So I think it's a really um, another amazing concept that they put in. They just kind of slipped it in there nonchalantly. They show it in other ways too. But just this concept of family transcends bloodlines, and it's really about the connections you make with people you may have never thought you would make connections with, and they turn out being really close friends and family that you know for all of your life. I've had lots of those, and it's awesome. I think another example of that is what people are feeling from the Sense8 connections around the world that they're making, because... I think it's really about frequency and we can love our biological family. We can love a lot of different people, but really that resonance comes from similar frequencies, a deeper understanding that allow us to feel seen and understood. So we're seeing it on screen. And then once again, we're seeing it rippling out into the world of fandom where deep connections are being made similar to the sensate. Yeah. Absolutely. And a lot of amazing stories. Yeah. People traveling all over the world to meet each other. Right. And it also plays back into the idea that Wolfgang and Kala are deeper than family, even though they've never physically met. Yeah, absolutely. And that brings us to the scene with Will and Riley. Yeah, that's another example of that deep, deep connection. When we were watching this again, so this was my second time watching it, when we just, Will was like bending over to pick up his vest or something, and as soon as I start to recognize Riley, there was just this wave of resonance that came over me, and it was like this palpable chemistry that they have together and she was just standing there yeah you and said I you felt it you felt it before we even yeah. panned to see riley it was intense there. their relationship and i think people souls are recognizing that desiring it i think we have that desire for that deep deep resonance and connection but for me the scene when they're when their hands touched and I actually asked you to replay it because I thought the train behind them had stopped. Because in my life, 
there were times when my hand touched the hand of my twin flame and it felt like we were in a movie scene where everything goes quiet and nothing moves still. And Timelessness. That, yeah, there's this, it's unexplainable, but people capture it in the movies and it's it's unexplainable, but they capture it and there's an intensity. In this case, they aren't even doing that physically and... I felt that too. In fact, I was saying that last night on a different topic. I was saying there's some people who I'm so connected to their souls and I'm more connected and feel more intimacy and connection with them in our soul-to-soul connection than in our physical interactions. Like we may not get, a, not get along, but we may not have as much in common in the physical world as we do in our spiritual connection, even if we both know we're having that spiritual connection. Yeah. Which, I know this is another topic that we're going to get into as I go on, but I keep thinking about that here because they're all having these incredible soul connections, but we never had to see them try to put that into real life. And I think we as human beings translate that into our physical world relationships and we think everything should be as fairy tale. But everything does start in spirit and that's what's beautiful about these relationships is that they're coming from the spirit down, which makes the physical world easier because you already know each other on a soul level by the time you come into physical contact. But you still have to do the day-to-day life. Like, you know... (laughs) You still have personalities to deal with. Yeah, and whether the toothpaste cap exactly. is on or whatever. I mean, I guess they kind of solved that with a little flip top of toothpaste now, but it's still, those things still matter, you know? Right, it's the little things that kill. <laughs> so in the scene, too, we also have Riley. She gets to show Will a little bit of her childhood. So yeah, she's, she's opening like up a little bit. She's like reflecting about it, telling rem- telling him about the memories and they're kind of like on a little you know supernatural date here right showing each other their places it's like when you bring a girl up right or a guy up and you're like here you go and you're showing a little they're getting a little more view into who they are as human beings right i think riley was it was kind of cute how she was really open to share she was excited to have will in her childhood home i mean also she just got back for a really long extended period away yeah, the last time they saw each other, she was being suffocated, yeah. which that that part was a little, I was like, huh, you know, she hung out with Cappius on the plane, but she and Will never checked in, you know, because he's like, right. are you, you're okay? Are you still breathing? <laughs> What's going on with you? <laughs> and then that ends up with uh, pretty hilarious Diego's like, what the fuck are you doing will he yeah. doesn't like he's like that was a good look yeah he's all pretending to kiss which is is funny and <laughs> i have felt people kiss me before um or spirits kiss me i mean i felt that touch on my lips it feels physical and everything i don't know if i've like made out with someone like that but i've definitely felt that and there's definitely times where i think i'm glad people aren't seeing me because i am in such a connection with the spirit someone in spirit whatever that is yeah it would look really weird (laughs) (laughs) so then let's 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 jump in a little bit more about will in this episode he's at the police station with diego and he is 
used his dad's codes to get into some top secret stuff, and he's helping a known fugitive or scouting her out. <laughs> but Diego's like going along with it because he's like, How did you get into this? or How do you know? But he's seeing things. And I think that kind of goes to our dialogue with Paul when he was talking about Cathias telling him about, you know, the Korean superhero woman, <laughs> angel or whatever. Um, and that there's context. So, you know, seeing is kind of believing. Diego's just open enough that when he sees this video, he, and different things that's going on, he's believing. He's going along he is, as well. But it's also his job on the line too, right? It's his partner. Yeah. So he's, then, he's got a lot at stake too. Yeah, he does. And he's being put in a difficult position. And then what happens after they're doing that? Will gets called into the captain's office and he gets suspended without pay. And Will's like, this isn't fair. And the captain's like, dude, life's not fair. Like, right. Just drop your badge and sign the paperwork. Yeah. And I mean, by their rules, he makes sense. He was getting suspended. But in his mind, he's saying, but I'm. I'm working on the good side. Like, I'm doing right. what we should be doing. Exactly. So, yeah. Right. And he, Will's jeopardizing even the captain by doing this stuff. Like, he's... People don't want want him looking in those things. That, put, that makes problems for potentially the whole uh, police department. Yeah. You know, and, and this is, might be just, a, like, an uh, artistic loophole, but I'm thinking that film would have been even more higher classified or like how did he get that far in or why was that not even disposed of in our world i don't know i guess i have a i don't have faith in safe records like if you had a yeah why didn't bpo wipe that camera they did the other one right why didn't they hmm but he's actually only showing so maybe he got it before they realized it seems like they would have wiped it but you know it maybe he got it somehow because he knew it was happening. But well, BPO is just run by humans, you know, and humans make mistakes. Or maybe Nomi got it, and he said he's, you know, there's all kinds of maybes. We'll just overlook that little <laughs> right. nitpicky thing, Sheila. <laughs> Sorry, I had mine with Wolfgang falling down. <laughs> right. <laughs> At the pool. <laughs> <laughs> Not getting his head hit. <laughs> I think he just fell so gracefully he fell into the pool and woke up. Oh, exactly, and didn't drown. So, or he's such a bad boy, he caught himself on the way down. <laughs> he's that kind of badass. So the concept here is life's not fair, and it's kind of a theme of the show. It's like a micro theme about um, life not being fair, and that has to do with the choices that we make. So let's hop over to Kala. All right. So Kala, I mean, we have the scenes with Wolfgang. We also have a scene where they're planning the wedding again. And now there's those guys that make all their money saying what people want them to say and negotiating the, the fees of everything. They're like, oh, it's even better day astrologically for this. It's like, of course uh -huh, it is. Uh -huh. the, the other day was a good day, of course, because they told her that it was a good day. They got paid for that. But this is even better. But she also... Talks about Ganesh uh, in this one and um, the temple, and she reflects back about her childhood and the impact. So kind of skipping back to what we said about Wolfgang, 
And Cassius, I think Kala was influenced by that experience with Ganesh. And so that became her role model, her connection, what got her through everything, which is important to know because then she has this confrontation with her future father-in-law at the temple of Ganesh. Yeah, let's, let's take a listen. You know, I don't believe in gods and miracles. Our fates are governed by the choices that we make. Others, of course, will argue that luck, good or bad, is a factor, but I disagree. Luck can only offer an opportunity. But without the will to make the right choice, luck would be as meaningless as, as that elephant-headed god. To me, the idea of praying to a god to somehow influence my own fate is both primitive and terribly sad. So this is really, like you said, it's another reflection of the choices that we make and and who is dictating our choices. Because if we look at Caffius and Wolfgang, they're kind of being dictated by the physical characters of the movies that they watched as, ch- as children. Kala is being influenced by the goddess, the god that she has learned to connect with. And now her father-in-law is saying, I don't believe in gods or miracles. So it's a similar conversation to what she had with Wolfgang, challenging the gods and the fates. And he says that our fates are governed by the choices that we make. And others, of course, argue that it it's good luck or bad luck. But he says he disagrees. And that luck can only be offered as an opportunity and without the will to make the right choice. So he's really drilling in the choices here. Oh, for sure. And I agree with him a lot on on the regards that, yeah, you might be lucky or you might have some synchronicity. But if you don't take advantage of that, air quotes, luck, then it doesn't matter. Yeah, and he, and he's interestingly telling Kala that they should stop the wedding and that she wanted to stop the wedding and that that's why she fainted. So whatever perspective you come from, whether you believe it was a gift from the gods, whether you believe it was luck, whether you believe it was, you know, they're all coming up with their stories about it, but she still has a choice to make and he's wanting her to make that choice for other reasons. But e- either way you come at it, if if she had just told Wolfgang that she felt that the gods were answering her prayers and she carries on with the wedding, what is she doing? Right. She's a very conflicted character, I think, when it comes because she straight up denies her own truth in front of him when he lays it out for her. And she didn't have the courage. She she was in fear. You know, it's, you, you can't have what you don't want. And he just took it away from her so now she wants it and she's also making a fear-based decision so um you know that he's offering her a very comfortable life physically and prestigiously and if she if she no if she if he does marry raja but he's telling her not to marry raja oh so you're saying she's choosing that physically right now she's in fear because it's being taken away from her and she's like oh no oh no when she knows without a shadow of a doubt she didn't want to marry him. Yeah, I think that there's other layers to this, of course, like 
she we talked about the beginning you can't be overpowered if you're sovereign and she hasn't found her sovereignty she's been making decisions for her family for the religion for society and she's just getting a taste of what that responsibility would be like to make decisions for herself and i don't think she's really capable yet you know in a way it's interesting that the BPO isn't coming for her because where she, she's the least threat right now because she knows herself the least. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. I wonder how they do organize who they get first. Well, they're going after the biggest threats, aren't they? In a way. Yeah. Nomi can hack, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Nomi has a history um, well, Will kind of knows the most, too, if you ask me, because he's had the most contact with Jonas, and he's getting a lot more information. Right. So, so Jonas went to him. For, well, Jonas went. So maybe those are the two that Jonas went to the most, right. too. Um, but Will has also known um, this since his childhood. Like he's being, And he's a cop. He's got access. He's seen things. So. And he knows how to be a detective and find things. And they're overtly going after him. Like, Nomi and Will are actually taking action to find out what's going on. Sun is in her own world. She's not even thinking about the... None of the others are thinking about them yet. They've got their own villains. Yeah, and it could be Nomi is just actually the easiest target because she's a fugitive. Yeah, that would... That could be it, too. She's just right. the easy pickings. right. Interesting. So let's hop over to Caffius. He goes over to Jella's house to tell him he's got some more work, some honest work for him. A very funny scene, in my opinion. I love, the, I love the dialogue there. Yeah, and so basically, Caffius has made the decision that he wants to do the straight and narrow, even though he's having to decide against his mom. Um, and getting her the medicine, he decides he doesn't want to go down this path and he's going to go back to his old life. But, of course, there's eyes everywhere and and ears and somebody hears him. And then he goes back to his mom's house and him and his mom are having a moment. She's cooking him some food. Yeah, and I think he's already conflicted then because his mom's up and she's healthy and it's Mm -hmm. really clear that this medicine brought her to life. And if he makes this decision that he feels like he has to make for himself, he's actually sentencing her to death, too. And either way, at this point, it probably feels like to him. Oh, for him, for, to him, for sure. But we know that his mom is very in touch with the other aspects of life. Yeah, she's, um, you know, what a... What a beautiful, what a beautiful mom. Yeah. I, I kind of faded back to our story or our talk about the the soul family. And, you know, sometimes we think people seek out soul family connections because they're not connected to their biological family. But I think you can be connected to both and it extends outward because Jella is certainly his family too. Yeah. And yet he has a beautiful relationship with his biological family. I just thought that was important for us to remember. Like, 
it doesn't have to be either or. We don't have to put good. Not that you did that. I just think that in the storyline, I've heard a lot of people say, I can't relate to my biological family, but I found my soul family. And it could be, I relate to my biological family. They're awesome. And I found my <laughs> right. soul family. Yeah, I agree. So we have Cavacy, Ca- excuse me, Caffius and his mom chilling in their place. And we have the gangsters come in and threaten both of them with a gun to their head. And the gang leader is just looking for some revenge. So that's the next time we are really introduced a little more brashly to the idea of revenge in this episode as a theme. Yeah, and he doesn't actually say revenge. He sets up the, uh, he says, what is every man looking for? Right. Or everyone who's been hurt looking for something new. I wish I didn't get his actual words, but he basically, this is like so obvious that this is what everyone would want. He doesn't even need to say it. Like that's how strongly he's saying the world is dictated by revenge. Absolutely. Then we ha- then we have a clip here, and this is Caffius's and ma- his mom after they leave. What am I going to do? I don't know. Yes, you do. You cannot give them the child. You know that. I don't. They will come back. You've had them. That's what men do. They make threats. And you more than anyone know they have the ability to carry those threats out. And you more than anyone. You know that their threats and even their violence cannot touch the things that matter. Mama, is it completely crazy to realize even after gangsters have threatened your life how lucky you are score behind there mm. i was listening to that too this time i think it's because oh, we yeah. had ethan here i love i love <laughs> violins and strings and such but because it's angelic it, when she talks i was thinking i feel like i've just gone into a meditation why did that happen so shout out to the music department <laughs> and sheila i this i left I, I took that whole clip there because i thought the end was actually important i was going to just cut it where she talks about um not being able to touch the things that matter, but to go to your point in the beginning of the show, yeah, this was just a, a tiny moment that just reinforces, you know, they just got threatened from a very violent person who's been after Caffius for a long time with a very terrible situation. And now that's traumatic and it's life changing. It changes everything. You know, they have to make a decision from here out and deal with, what that, whatever that's going to be. And here they are just realizing how lucky his mom is. Well, and I think Caffius is talking about how lucky he is. Yeah. Too. I, I this time thought, which it's both of them, right? And why are they lucky? And thank you to the divine for making sure you get this part of the clip in, because that is to me what it's all about. It's like, she is reminding him 
it does go to what we started in the beginning. We are sovereign when we choose to be sovereign. When we we don't, it's not about fighting. It's about being beyond the fight, to know that they can't harm us when we stay in the space of love. And that's what she's saying. Love never ends. Love is continuous. And when we remember that, and we remember that what is truly important doesn't go away at death, it is beyond death, that's when we can make the decisions that are truest to our heart. <laughs> exactly. So the things that matter the most to our, us is, is are actually uh, our essence, the essence that animates this body and personality. And those are the things no human being can touch. Yeah. And as we're talking, this is a slight tangent, but it's all within it. We don't really find out what's going on with the girl or what they threatened. The first time, first couple times, I didn't even realize what they had threatened. Yeah. Uh, until the next episode. But if we listen carefully here, she says you can't give them the, the little girl. And so she understands the cycle of life right? Like that girl has a life to live and she knows she has AIDS. She knows she is dying. She knows she's at the end of her life cycle. And she knows that it's, it's her life that they threatened, not Kathy's. Basically the idea of the theme right. is we're going to hurt the person that you love because that's worse than hurting you. And so not only is his mom honoring the cycle of life, but reminding him death won't part us. And um God, if we could all live this way, life would will be. When we all live this way, life will be so amazing. I agree. <laughs> then we have Lido. Yeah, and this theme carries right into Lido, oh, of yeah. course. And let's not remember let's not forget the title, in the end, we will all be judged by the courage in our hearts. That's the title of the episode, and we're seeing where that theme is moving through because Cathias has to have the courage of the heart. Right. To, so to me, in my perspective and understanding of life, to me, there there is one truth. It's an absolute truth. And it is the only guarantee in life. And I know I'm screaming in the face of so many things that say that there's no guarantees in life. But that guarantee is that we are all unconditionally loved. We are loved beyond condition. We are loved with a love that has no opposite. That's a guarantee. We're not guaranteed to be able to experience that, per se. That's what we're here to do, in my opinion. But when we leave this place, we're not going to look back at the deeds that we've done so much, but we're going to look back and judge ourselves by how, by our ability to have loved as much as possible during our lifetime. I agree. And I think that's exactly what Cathias and his mom are relating to right now. Right. And that's why our choices are important because our choices are just potentials. We, we make them 
zillions of them every day. Um, little ones, big ones come around and how we choose to play the game. Who am I? Mm-hmm. In the face of these choices really dictates our experience of who we get to be in life. And those experiences are something that we get to, I would say that they, they transcend with us in some regard. Mm-hmm. To me, I say there's only two choices in every moment. And each moment we are choosing between acting from a space of love or a space of fear. I try to always choose love. <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I think the hardest thing to do in life is actually be open and naked and just pour love into this physical reality. I think it's really easy to steal, to rape, to pillage, to dominate, so to subjugate. Those things are actually easy. Fighting's easy and it doesn't transcend anything. But when you try to be bare, when you try to bear your authentic soul and essence of who you are, you are so powerful, but you're so vulnerable at the same time. Interesting, because Silas talks about that in the earlier episode about, you know, love being powerful and vulnerable. Because mm-hmm. if you love someone deeply, you are vulnerable, and therefore, you, I can trust you. Um, but it is the love that he has for his daughter that makes him do everything. So, yeah, it is open. It's vulnerable. And I think it's most vulnerable when we think we can lose love. And when we remember we can't, that changes everything. It does. I I call those, when we can get to that state as a person, I call them life-based belief systems. So Caffius's mom is a great example. She has a life-based belief system that she is not afraid of where she's going next. And she understands the importance of people who are here and how they need to live life like this little girl. Like she knows she's putting herself aside for even her son to continue on living a normal life instead of worrying about her having to die all the time. And now this other little girl who's probably like nine or 10, she's got a whole life ahead of her, but she understands, she know she has that, she's had the experience she knows so she can have that belief system. I think it's really hard to say, hey, this is a great idea, but without having the experience of knowing yourself as something more than a body and a mind, it's really hard to actually act in accordance with that understanding. And I think Kathy's mom has throughout right, her whole yeah. life, which is why she's not conflicted right now. Because she's had some really hard decisions to make in her life. And she's experienced deep grief because of those decisions. At the same time, as she reaches the end of her life and looks back on them, she doesn't have any regrets. Because she was courageous in the heart. Mm -hmm. Let's see how Lita's doing with this. (laughs) All right. So let's set this up with um, just a summary of what's going on with Lido. We do have another clip, but um, in this episode, remember, so Lido, Daniela had really violated them 
by taking video of them having sex and her ex got a hold of it and is blackmailing. So she returned to him and she calls Lido and says it's taken care of. Lido's just cool with that. Okay, whatever. Thank you. <laughs> and, you know, maybe he's still mad. I mean, he was violated, but Hernando's like, is she staying with him? Because they had developed a loving relationship, right. the three of them. And what was she sacrificing? Which they find out later in the parking lot when she brings him back the phone and they give her her stuff. She tells them that she married, that she, she agreed, agreed to, to marry yeah. him in exchange for this. And she has a black eye, so we know she's being beaten, and we know that this is a pretty large sacrifice. And Hernando's definitely not cool with this. Right, and Lido hasn't really shown much remorse at this point, and um, Daniela says it's okay, and she she says, we make choices, and life has a way of making us pay for them. So she's kind of taking responsibility for the choice she made. She is taking responsibility. She's saying, I did this. It wasn't cool. I'm going to pay for it this way. Lido says he recognizes that as a line from one of his movies that was called The Price of Life is Death, which is very profound, <laughs> right? I mean, that is the end result of life. Like, you... You don't get life without death. It's impossible. They can't be separated. Yeah, in a way, too, now that we're talking about it here, I think this is also the process of shedding what is not true about you. What I mean by that is, so we have this ego, and I don't mean separation from ego, but we have these, we create certain belief systems about ourselves, and we have certain experiences, and that reinforce this idea of who I am. And sometimes those don't serve us. And along comes an experience that we have that could be traumatic or um, blissful or something that really just allows us to drop a piece of who we thought we were because it's not the truth of who we were. So in a way, I think, that's what they could be leading to in death. Not death as in physical death, but death as in death of a part of what we identify with. I think that's, again, layered. One of my favorite words, because I think there's an eye. I mean, she's already got a black eye. She's only back, been back with him about a month. Lido knows he can kill her. He's threatened his own life. And so she is putting herself in danger. And Lido knows that and still chooses to overlook it and let her take responsibility for her action. And, and she's saying, she's making a decision. I did this action. It wasn't okay. I'm going to take responsibility for it, even if that means a life of pain or death. Hernando is not okay with this. You see Her Hernando's look, and it is so hugely contrasted with the love that you see that he's been giving Lido in every, every other scene. And then we move to this scene, which is set in the backdrop of a funeral um, that Lido, Lido is in another 
movie. We're always weaving in and out of these movies and what's life and what isn't with Leto, which is part of the theme too. But remember, we've already been told, pay attention to what's happening in the in the scenes as they match up. So he's at a funeral scene and they actually say the line in the funeral, in the end, we will all be judged by the courage of our hearts. They say like, did you hear the line right yeah, before that? Yeah. It's like it was like not the size of his cock, or the, <laughs> like it's well, not the length of his gun. Oh, uh, was it a gun? Yeah, <laughs> I heard cock. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was there was two comparisons, I think, and that was one of them. I didn't write it down. Yeah, but they they are kind of that it was a it wasn't as deep in it is deep in the movie but not in such a deep way but it's the scene that sets a dra- backdrop for Hernando coming up to talk to him and interesting the director says your friend is here the people already know you can hear in the voice of the person that tells Lido that his friend is there that the people on set that he's been working with already know and he is still trying to he's like oh yeah 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 my bodyguard listen to that scene you'll see he says it in a word that in a way that indicates he knows that that's a relationship without judgment just a you know like we're gonna go along with your lie so here we have this is where Lido meets up with Hernando and they're talking just moments after that Daniela in a way, I guess in a way, she reminded me of the things I had allowed myself to forget because I felt so strongly about you. Fernando, your tone is scaring me. What are you talking about? I love you, Lito. I love you more than I have ever loved anyone in my life. I love you too. But I can be with someone who would allow someone else to be hurt in order to protect their career. doesn't end this way. What are you talking about? This isn't my fault. Hernando, she did this to herself. She admitted it. You cannot leave me for that. This is not fair. I know it's not fair. So what do you want me to do? You want me to throw my whole life down the toilet because of a woman I barely know? I don't know what you should do, Lito. All I know is what I have to do. Are you going to break up with me because of her? It's not her. Then what? In the end, we will all be judged by the courage of our hearts. Wow. Yes. So many things in here. How about that score? (laughs) (laughs) We will forever be focused on the music. (laughs) Um. Yes, I did notice the score. (laughs) It was great. And I noticed the words again and again. I love it because when we're listening to just the words without the picture, you hear the words more, I think. Of course, we've already memorized and chosen the clip based on the words, but I just think it's easier to give in to the whole scene. And I love, I just love visualizing it. I love how... Hernando does something. He really is being courageous right now. He loves Lido more than any person he's ever loved ever. And he's deciding 
what's best, what's in his highest good for himself is to walk away. Yeah. And I, there's so much to this about evolved relationships and the clarity of communication. Leto's not there yet. He's not understanding yet uh, the level of love and consciousness that Hernando is exhibiting and the precision of the words that she didn't. It's not because of Danielle, but Danielle, but because of Danielle and this, he was able to see something in himself that he hadn't seen before, which is how much he had overlooked these aspects of Leto because of the depth of love that he has. This is so common. Like, like we can stop here for a second. How many times have we been in relationships where we see, and this was something I struggled with a lot because I see people's soul and their highest potential. And I would just ignore the other behaviors that didn't match that, that weren't integrated until I got slapped in the face with the contrast between how they were actually behaving and what I saw their soul to be. And so even leading up to this scene, I was feeling this with Hernando. I mean, Lido has been so selfish. I'm not judging him. I understand that there's a struggle, and it was beautiful, and it was compassionate of Hernando to give him that space. We never know when that point is that it's just too much. Mm-hmm. And that was his point. He couldn't do that anymore to see... Because there's love for Danielle too, Daniela too. Mm-hmm. But even that, it's one he could take the heart and the denial because he knew he could take it for himself. But when he witnessed him doing something like that to someone else at a point that was very high risk, he just that was it. That was his line. Yeah. I agree with you. I've been the same way since I was a child as well. Just like seeing people and looking past certain aspects that weren't healthy for me, for sure. Definitely in a lot of my, almost all of my relationships with a female. (laughs) And sometimes it's even friends. Like there's times where I overlook and I overlook and I, from the outside, it would seem like, why that point? Like, it's something so little. But there's just a point that you reach where you can't deny the gap between the potential of the person that you see and the reality of the behavior that you're exhibiting. And one of the things I've really focused on learning myself and helping others do is how do we see both and make our decisions both on the behaviors and the soul potential that we see. And Hernando's doing, I mean, maybe Hernando was doing it the whole time. And now it's time to make this decision for himself. And he claims responsibility, you know. And Lido is saying it's not fair. And Hernando's like, no, it's not fair. And yes, Daniela did do that. But this is what I have to do for myself. I can't, I can't tell you what you need to do. And that's really powerful too, because Mm -hmm. he's not asking Hernando to come out. And he's to, not asking Lido to come out. Oh, yeah. He's not asking Lido to come out and to risk his... He's not asking Lido to do anything. He's saying, you be you. I can't live with that anymore. 
That's another taking responsibility. Yeah, that's badass. He's not asking him to change. Mm-hmm. He's not asking him to throw away his career or anything like that. Because we really can't for relationships. I mean, if he asked and Leto did that, then it There's changes the d- dynamics yeah. forever. You know, it's not something you can ask someone to do. And he wouldn't do that. So now it's up to Leto to decide what he's going to do. And we don't know. And we don't know. I do not think the message here is about right or wrong. They've been blurring the lines and saying there isn't, the world's not black and white. And the world's not fair. And, and from the our world's perspective, not fair. And, yeah. and it's okay. I think if we were able to look at the world in the eyes of having the perspective that I'm here to experience who I am, the unfair choices really define our experience of ourselves and what we decide to do with them, whether that's continue a cycle of revenge or try to continue or do a different cycle, try something different that's a little bit more transcendent of an experience. When we look back at the dialogue with Kala and her future father-in-law, and he's saying whether you, you know, basically, if we summarize that from a different perspective, he's saying whether you believe in gods and in divine intervention or whether you believe in luck, good or bad. Because if you're going to believe on one side, what is the other side? You know, I would say we don't have to label things good or bad, but easy or difficult, right? So it's really coming down to whatever. Life isn't going to be fair. Life is whether it's divinely orchestrated or it's random luck or it's all based strategically, methodically on our choices, in each moment, again, it comes down to we have to make a choice. And there are our own choices to make. And we have to act from a space of love or fear. And then once we align ourselves with love, then we can see things and then we can see the choices and make them because we can't really see them. Well, we can. We make them either way. But there's, for me, it goes a little bit further. And that's like I tell people to be in the full vortex of oneness, which is a lot of, you know, it's a, a little bit deeper to go into. But when we're aligned, when we're in our full full self and aligned, That's the only choice that we have to make. I say love or fear, but it's really, are we going to move into that alignment? And then the natural next step will show itself. I like how we got to that point, because that's awesome. (laughs) Yes, I agree wholeheartedly. As long as we stay in our center and our truth Mm -hmm. on those levels, that's all we have to do. It's, right, it, that's the only decision we can It gets really we easy make. after yeah. we get there. And then once we get there, then we can see the next step and the next step and the next step. So getting back to the price of life is death. I want to elaborate on that a little bit more. So when we make these decisions, Leto's going to make a decision later. And he loses a piece. A piece of him dies because of this decision. And he gets to know what life is about after he lets that part of himself die. And that's what I was articulating earlier when we think we're something and we make these hard decisions that define us and, and take our life in a place we've never wanted it to go. 
But at the same time, we're being filled with fulfillment of joy, of life, of authentic self. And sometimes it, that's the price is, mm-hmm. is of life, to be alive, truly alive, not just like autonomous walking around and doing mundane things, but really filled with life. The price is death. Yeah. And that, that, that's a choice in some choices. <laughs> exactly. We will die, and therefore, let's choose to live. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right, this has been fun. It has been. It's been great. I liked hanging out with you, Zach. <laughs> Thanks, Sheila. I liked <laughs> hanging out with you, too. Audience, I hope you're with us still. I'm glad you're hanging out with us, <laughs> oh, too. Oh, yeah, I liked hanging out with you guys, too. <laughs> I just meant in the studio. <laughs> We're going back to some guests again coming we up are. here. Yeah. we got some exciting ones coming up. So, um, so stay tuned. Stay tuned, but we're going to be doing the Zach and Sheila show in between some of these interviews, which are a lot of fun too. They are. And we just love being here with all of you. All of you. All right. So if you've loved the show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash live sense eight. Grab your exclusive perks and support the show. We'd really appreciate that. And while you're doing that, head over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and review because that helps tremendously as well. And if you have any questions or comments about the show, we would love to hear them from you. You can hit us up on Twitter at live underscore sense8. And you can always send us an email at team at livesense8.com. As always, thank you so much for all your support on social media. It means a lot. And we'll see you next time.